0: Hubhopper Originals.
1: Hello and welcome back to Heart on My Steve. This is Mancha Kaur and you're listening to me on Hubhopper. I know it's been terribly long, so I will take a moment to explain my absence. If you've been with me from the first episode of the first season or um, if you've listened to the intro episode of this podcast, then you know that in 2010, which was about 10 years ago, my dad had had this health emergency that was a really defining moment in my life. And on the 12th of November of last year, 2020, the worst possible outcome of that condition happened and um, his aorta dissected. What followed was possibly the toughest and hardest phase of my life. It was touch and go and 15 minutes is eventually what it boiled down to and that's what saved his life. Um, Alongside a brilliant surgeon and god looking out for us and a lot of well-wishers praying for us and he is recovering well touch wood but it's still a long road ahead um given the nature of the surgery so a lot has changed i am now working with him full-time as a trader in the stock market i've come back full circle to what I had been originally primed to become and it's, um, it's actually taught me a lot about myself and it's definitely led to a bit of a perspective change and I'll get into that in a later episode but the main thing is that he is slowly recovering and I obviously have, for the most part, been focused entirely on that and him and supporting him with work. On a brighter note, um, last week, the Heart in My Safe community crossed 200,000 listens. And I can't tell you how grateful I am, especially given all that's happened. I think it's something that truly means so much to me that you guys have continued listening in and even when I haven't been obviously able to churn out any episodes. When I first started out with this podcast, I remember 200,000 being um, this big milestone that I would sort of talk about with my husband and be like, okay, someday I want to hit 200,000. And that day happened. So thank you so much I hope that I can continue to provide you with episodes that help you feel less alone, more comforted, episodes that help you learn something new, that help you be more positive, that help you achieve your goals, and somewhere that you find a friend in me through all of it. In fact, We will be wrapping up season two in another three episodes and um, season three, which will come out in the summer of 2021, is going to have a lot more solo episodes from my side because I really miss those. I really miss my heart to hearts with you guys and of course, peppered with some amazing guests. Speaking of which, today's guest, Benaysha Karastongre, is one of those really special guests she is so inspiring and what I love about her is that she truly wears her heart on her sleeve and you know how much that means to me and how much I value that. So to tell you a little bit about her, Banisha is an image enhancer. She is a motivational speaker, a TEDx speaker and a fashion style expert. Her story is something that is really going to touch you and is just so inspirational she in fact is India's youngest internationally certified image consultant and this is since 2012 and some of her clients today include BMW, Qatar Airways, Deloitte over and above all of this she also works with differently abled children to help them regain their confidence and build up their self-image She's a gem of a person and without wasting any more time, here's Banisha.
0: So how did you get into all of this? Uh, it's a nine-year journey. I actually had a very, uh, I went through a lot of counseling myself. Mm-hmm. So I was diagnosed with dyslexia and dyscalculia and ADHD and the works of learning disability. Um, Wherein it really hampered my self-esteem, it uh, kind of brought me down entirely, wherein I I kind of became this person who was supremely underconfident about everything that happened in my life. And I was nearly 10 years old, you know. So what what used to happen at that point of time was that um, our schools didn't actually know what these learning disabilities were. And, uh, you know, they kind of labeled you as mentally challenged. So when that happens, you kind of just go into your shell and you become this very different person. And uh, I lost a lot of friends, so as to say, you know, when you're young, your friendships are based on how much you talk to me and what you get. So at that nascent stage, I kind of lost a lot of friends because my teachers actually communicated, you know, it wrongly. To you know, the students as to what I really had. So they kind of said that you know she's she's someone who you shouldn't be friends with her because your grades will go low. That's horrible. Yeah, so it was a, it was a very weird and a nasty experience. I would say that kind of happened. And thereafter, it was that time when you know you're growing up and you need to decide what you're going to do in life and. My parents were constantly told that, you know, she's she's failing in all her subjects. She's pretty much failing in everything. So she's never going to make it through life. And that would kind of put me in a shell and said, you know what? My life is pointless. It's useless. I became suicidal. Um, so I started therapy for that. I, I tried to run away from home. <laughs> so I had more therapy. I had years of therapy, if I have to put it like that. And years of remedial sessions to improve my cognitive skills. So today I come across as someone who talks and can talk to a crowd of 500. But earlier I couldn't even talk to five people for five minutes. So it it kind of was such a drastic change. And today like the people who know me from before to the ones who know me now, like, like I had a school teacher who's kind of walked me through this. So I changed my schools. I used to live in South Bombay. And uh, I landed up going to a school in Pandra. and I, I think I started to discover myself through it, and that's when I realized. I said, you know, and that is a zameen par' came way later in life, you know, to kind of explain this concept, yeah. you know. And my mom was someone who kept on pushing me, so that was the point wherein it was it was self realization to push myself forward and say, you know what, you're throwing a pity party for yourself. And the only person who can be in control and can steer this through is just you. So get up and get going. And I think uh, that's when I realized that I wanted to be that person for my younger self, which a lot of people don't get. And parents aren't supposed to know everything in their life. I mean, I'm I'm the first born to my parents and they don't get it right all the time. And not always all professionals know everything. So I decided to work in the mental health space, learn about it. I started working at an orphan home when I was in ninth grade. So I started teaching there. So I understood different uh, emotions of different individuals. Then moved on to guiding women at the Dharavi slum. Later on, my first project of image work. So I'm a certified image consultant as well as um, I do psychotherapy. I don't like to use the word psychotherapy because it sounds very clinical. So I usually call myself a mental health enhancer and uh, it sounds a little more liberal. Yeah, so today I'm just doing what I feel like I would have needed myself a hundred times over. But in a more relaxed way, like I felt like a lot of my counsellors were very medical, very mechanical, very technical. And my approach has been very liberal, very chill, very relaxed, very homely. To make the opposite, because today somebody is coming to an entire stranger and opening up, you know. Mm-hmm. So they've, they've got to feel that sense of comfort rather than the sense of analysis.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: You know, you can't be sitting there and being analyzed and say, okay, so what's wrong with me? Yeah. Nothing's wrong with you. It's just not the right time.
1: That's wonderful. That is really um, inspiring and also the way you put it. So I want to start off our conversation by asking you how you
0: define good mental well-being. So good mental well-being to me kind of is having a good sense of awareness of self because I think it's really important to be completely aware about who you are and uh, what are your strengths and work-upons. The other aspect that I would say a key ingredient is rationalizing your negative thoughts. So a lot of times we actually don't rationalize our negative thoughts. We kind of just go with the negative thought and we say that, oh my God, and we make it into a very big problem, which actually is a situation. It's not really a problem. And another thing which I find that is uh, lacking with a lot of us today is the live and let live attitude. You know, we've become so opinionated. We feel like we have so much to always say and so much to always comment on and share and, you know, like or dislike that we actually land up not letting somebody just be. And in that process, we actually pressure ourselves so much. You know, for example, when today I am saying that you cannot do this, technically even I can't do it, Right. So which means that tomorrow, say five years down the line, I actually won't land up doing that because I've had a change of heart. I, I can't really do it because I didn't let somebody live and let live before. Yeah, you know, And then that kind of just goes into like a very hypocritical cycle. Yeah. So I think we need to live and let live. That attitude needs to kind of instill so that we actually have a very healthy, peaceful mental health. Because a lot of times people go like, I need to control everything that happens. Yeah. My life, others' lives, friends' lives, everyone's lives. Why? Because they are my responsibility because I care. So I feel that whole thing of I care just makes it, just dramatizes the whole thing away too much.
1: Now, I'm so glad you started on this note because it's literally like when somebody asks me, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received or like what is something that you really stand by? For me, I would always say exactly that. Live and let live. Um I don't think whether it's in Indian society especially, I don't think at the parent level people do that. I don't think, like you said, at the friends level, because under the guise of caring, mm-hmm. actually trying to in subtle ways, manipulate a situation because we want things to be a certain way, but then everyone wants things to be a certain way. And when all of us do this and we do do this, you end up in a, in a slightly, um, like heavy situation instead of like something being simple and something being pleasant and palatable. There comes this complication and I think all sorts of complicated equations, I think begin with wanting to not let live <laughs> wanting yeah, yeah, yeah. wanting how uh, somebody else is living their life and I think like the one thing that I'll add to this is that like you said it becomes hypocritical and in certain ways when all of us are really judgmental about something and I read this really great line I think it's by Robin Sharma
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: critics are just terrified dreamers <laughs> Yes. So in that sense, when you do criticize something or when you do try to control something, along the line, if you want to then pursue it, you know, because somewhere all of us have that child in us who wants to live their dream in a certain way. But when you do do that, then it becomes hard to backtrack. So how do you make time for yourself? Do you have any days off? How do you make time for yourself around your client meetings or appointments?
0: So, you know, um, a lot of people say this and in a lot of self-help books, it's also mentioned wherein you must take one day off for self-care. Now, as much as I agree, I don't agree because I tried that out many years ago and I realized that I am at least someone who needs self-care every day. Yeah. And I figured that there are many other people who I've, you know, counseled and consulted who also need the same. So you must take a few, you know, moments of your day to kind of do something you love and that's self-care. Yeah. Whether it's eating something that you love and that's painting your nails, <laughs> whether it's taking a walk somewhere you like, whether it's listening to five songs on your playlist. I mean, it can be anything. It doesn't have to have that, you know, magnitude of intensity for you to call it self-care. I mean, self-care is the smallest things that make you happy, that bring you joy. So it's not really necessarily like an activity that you have to do, which is strenuous. Um, a cheap thrill that I do have, which I take it as a part of my self-care, is seeing uh, decor pictures. I love home decor. <laughs> yeah. So you,
1: um, you peppered like moments or pockets of self-care throughout the day instead of taking time for it and it almost becomes like
0: organized yeah it becomes it becomes like a chore you know because I did this like nine to ten years ago and I said okay you know what I'll take this day off and I'll do some self-care and I figured on that day I said what am I supposed to do now (laughs) what does this really mean like what what am I supposed to do like okay read a book fine I love reading So I started reading. I read for one hour, one and a half hours. And then I'm like, okay, now what do I do? Because self-care is supposed to be happiness throughout. It can't be like that one day of relief.
1: Yeah.
0: And if all of us understand that a consistency is king in anything that we do and even when it comes to our mental health and self-care i think a lot of us would be happier a lot of us would be introspective of our behavior and a lot of us would for uh, land up being a lot more intuitive than we are you know today we go to i have nothing against this and we go to a lot of astrologers we go to a lot of other people we go to other people for advice you know and most times I have understood and I have seen that uh, if you silence your mind you actually get the answers but the art is how to silence it yeah. and it, what silencing your mind really means is sometimes doing nothing mm-hmm. and that means everything so yeah. Beautifully
1: but <laughs> do, you, do you meditate or do you journal do you do any of those
0: things? So I, uh, I used to do a lot of journaling earlier uh now I think I'm consumed with everybody else's journals (laughs) I do journaling in a very different way so whenever I am upset I do letter writing so I write letters to the person I'm upset with or I'm sad about or I like write letters to um you know God I mean I've been doing that since I was a child because I feel like you know I, I was always told as a child I pray to God and you might just get yeah you know just as a small little christmas wish or anything and i think that became a a very big part of me so even today i'm i mean i'm 29 but i still practice that yeah. in some format and, and i and i find it very therapeutic i find it uh, absolutely almost relieving by the end of my letter to god i feel like i've already received my answer and it's it's pretty it's, it's magical to me because i write the letter being convinced that i know i'm going to get an answer and then, you know, for the couple of few, like days or hours, sometimes I do land up seeing things and realizing things that I earlier might have just never seen or realized at all. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the magic I create with my own conviction. And if you believe in anything, I mean, you can do anything. So faith nice. moves mountains. So soak in this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, uh, journaling in any form, you know, like you said, like, for the most part, the answer lies within. And it's, it's hard to have a physical conversation with yourself. But when you're writing, it's almost as though you're talking to yourself in a way. And, and, and somewhere, what you've been searching for, it tends to come out in those moments because you're, you're literally like vomiting all of your thoughts on the paper. And I find it extremely therapeutic as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so staying hopeful is definitely an essential ingredient as far as happiness is concerned. How um, and, and I know that a lot of people like one of the uh, things that I've heard over and over the last couple of months has been that I, I just I have nothing to look forward to because we don't know when things are going to get better and I think somewhere hope got up and left the building and that's why people are feeling really disdainful. So how have you managed to keep your hope alive especially when motivation has
0: been so fleeting this year Uh, i'm a firm firm believer in um, knowing that if if god has put you to it he's going to put you through it or you know faith i think all of us are going through the whole world is going through a time of you know self-realization we all needed this i mean we were moving at a fast pace wherein we weren't really seeing who our family members were like today Um, you know, we we actually know so much more about our family than we ever have in all our existence. We know their smaller habits. We know what they do, what they don't like. And I think that was very important. So as much as uncertainty it has brought to us, uh, it has kind of brought a lot of uh, realization to us. And I'm just hoping that it stays, of course. But uh, I was, I, I am, I'm not, I'm not Uh, afraid of this uncertain time at all actually because um, you know I believe that life has always been uncertain it's just that we've realized it now you know uh, people were still dying before people were still falling sick people were still going through stress people still had mental health issues it's just that it took a pandemic to realize it so I think when when we're talking about being hopeful or when we're talking about positivity I feel positivity is a state of your mind it's really what you uh, rationalize your negative thoughts that then transcend into positive or not. So today, if I'm constantly only going to say that, okay, you know, I'm never getting a job, uh, maybe, maybe life actually told you to take a pause and relook at what you're doing. I've had clients who've come to me and say, you know, Banasha, we lost our job and I don't know how to stay positive. I don't know how to gather myself and get going. And uh, I, I introspect with them. I take them through this journey and make them realize and ask them actually that has there ever been a moment in your life where you were unhappy with the job that you were doing? And 85% to 90% of the time, the answer is yes. I was just working for money. And the only question I ask to all these people who think that way is what about your mental health sustainability? We talk about sustainability at many levels today, about the environment, about financial, about, you know, everything else but our mental health. Doesn't our mental health need to be stable for us to be sustainable then? Because a lot of us keep on thinking about how much money we need to make without realizing that we also need to be happy with what we do and that in turn increases a lot of productivity. So when I knew that I was throwing a pity party for myself in my own life, I realized that, hey, panisha what are you doing? I mean, who the hell is going to help you? Your parents can be there for you. People can be there for you, but no one's really going to pick up that load and walk your journey because no one really can. So I think positivity and being hopeful is, is all up here. It's, it's all in your state of mind and it's something that it's a choice. It's a choice that you need to consciously make in order to want to improve yourself. Realization is one thing and actioning is another So you have to make that choice in between to really want to change things.
1: Yeah, and that's so true because people, you know, often ask me, do you think a person can change? And my answer is always yes and no. No, because um, it's it's not easy to. And if you put in a certain amount of work right now, it's not going to self sustain. Something is a part of your core you will have to keep doing it every single day. So you have to commit to that level. Like if you have a natural predisposition towards being glass half empty, for example, you can change that, but you have to commit to it every single day.
0: That's true. That's, that's absolutely true because you have to have consistency even in your thoughts. Yeah. It's, it's not going to show up. Like, you know, a lot of people actually tell me, Panasha, how should I stay motivated? How can I be motivated to do this? So often people say, how do, I, how do I become motivated to work out so I can lose weight or, you know, to start off my own business? And I remind them that motivation does not come to you on day one. Motivation is a process, right? So you get up in the morning, you tell yourself that on the 20th day, will there be results? Probably if I get to 20, day 20. So you wake up in the morning and you actually get yourself going every single day. And then that change through the journey will get you motivated to go to the next 20. Motivation does not show up on the first day, right? It is not something that is, you know, a pill you take and you get going. Yeah. So it's it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that you choose to embrace. And if you continue to keep doing it, it will show you different ways of magic. So you, you work out every single day. On the 10th day, your body will start responding to you. The first five days, you're going to ache because you've just started. So I feel like the minute we understand that motivation, positivity, being hopeful, having faith is all a journey. And it's not a one-stop shop. Like you can buy this and you have like you know, lifelong validity of the same. Yeah, I think yeah, A lot of us will be at ease, you know. The people ask me, are you always happy? Well, no, no, that's not true. I'm not always happy. There are things that disappoint me in order for me to know that, okay, there is this that makes me happy and this that gets me disappointed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And my father always told me that you have to know the bad in order to know the good. Otherwise, how will you be able to tell?
1: So yeah. You know, like that. This motivation thing is a completely new one and uh, I, I think that everyone listening in
0: should definitely
1: yeah because I realized
0: this when I couldn't get up you know for my workouts and I'm like oh god you know this is the lockdown and I'm just not being useful I know I just need to be fit yeah. and I'm like I just feel good about it but I'm not motivated and then you know while I was doing it I realized that I feel good on the fifth day and the fifth day motivated me then to go forward, not the first day. So you have to drag it till that point of time.
1: Never thought about it like that. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to, i this to this right <laughs> So a lot of us struggle with being present in the moment and you can blame our dwindling attention spans on the internet or social media or what have you, but none of these things are going away. So given all of that, um, how can we become more mindful and be more in the moment? Because it's spoken about so much, but it's so hard to actually get around to doing it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think this whole uh, surplus information is a bane and a boon, hmm. right? Because... Uh, You have so much, but you have so little time to actually organize it and then realize what is for you, what is not for you, what works for you, what doesn't. So I think we all need to understand that there is a certain amount of information that we must consume. There is a certain amount of energy that we must put into our box. So I always look at each single day as a job. Right? All of us have a jar and that jar consists of 24 hours. Now, within this 24 hours, how much am I devoting to my productivity? How much am I devoting to my application? And how much am I devoting to my enjoyment? Right? These are the three factors of the jar that I personally look at because I feel that when you are looking at your productivity, only then can you work towards it, right? So then your actionable points come through that. And then finally, you can enjoy those benefits. Yeah. Now in 24 hours, there is limited that you can do. right? So know the fact that even if you do three things or two things or even one thing in that whole day, it's absolutely fine. You don't have to bog yourself about trying to be everywhere and still be nowhere. Yeah. Right? A lot of us have FOMO. We don't really realize that it's very strategically aligned to living in the now. So you have the fear of missing out right? And you want to be here and you want to be somewhere else and you want to be somewhere else. Like you are at one party, but you want to be texting somebody and you want to be calling somebody and you want to still chat with somebody in front of you. And how do you really keep up? I feel a lot of us disrespect most of our relationships like that. The biggest, biggest destroyer of relationships is not living in the now. So I feel like it's, it's all about respecting a person who's in front of you. So for example, if I'm talking to you right now and I'm texting, I'm actually insulting you as well as the person who I'm texting. And more than anything, I'm insulting my intelligence because I'm not focused on either of my communication, which yeah. means my productivity in communicating with either of you is going to be depleted. Yeah. Right. So I feel like living in the now is a big mark of respect for yourself, for others that you communicate with and for the very moment in time that you have been given. Because if we're not living in the now, then we're living somewhere else. And uh, I keep on telling all my clients this. I tell everyone this that, you know, you are actually wasting your today for a tomorrow that does not yet exist So only go tomorrow and then crib about what you should have done yesterday. But hey, that is today. So stop it.
1: Those are real words of uh, wisdom. I think that's great. I'm going to definitely ask you to send this to me. (laughs) Sure. The other thing is that, and and I felt this myself, I was just with a bunch of friends in Goa for my birthday we were all very careful and all of that. Uh,
0: <laughs> all, go on COVID-free right now.
1: <laughs> but I was meeting some of these people after a really long time. Like one person had come from SF, one person had come from London. And somewhere along the way, regardless of where the conversation would be, like one eye of mine would be on my phone, on Instagram. like Some notification coming in, somebody is wishing me, Right. But the point is that right now I'm I'm with these people and I'm I'm celebrating with them and I'm in the moment there and they're the ones who made the effort to come there. And meet. yeah. But I'm again distracted by all of these other people who are reaching out to me, which is natural on a birthday, whatever. But still that depth that comes with being in the moment that it could be the depth of enjoyment. It could be the depth of an equation with somebody, the depth of a conversation. We miss out on that entirely. I think with each passing generation, we're becoming more and more surface level because we're mm-hmm. in so many places at one given moment or at one given point, And it wasn't possible before when you didn't yeah. have these smartphones. Like even if you had a phone a landline and it rang you'd have to focus in on that you want also then watching some netflix show on your laptop while texting somebody while then looking at somebody else's instagram post while um thinking about the work that you have to do tomorrow so i think with each passing generation and i'm really scared for like whenever it is that i have kids it, it's a really scary thought because it's just getting worse and worse like I'm noticing it in my own self and I try to be mindful and I literally like I told all of these guys I said the next time we meet on mean next month or whatever I'm definitely going to leave my phone behind <laughs> and um, be more present and be in the moment but other than that have you noticed any other concerning patterns or trends on social media or because of social media?
0: So social media, again, being in a boon. it gets you connected, like gets us connected. But it, it also kind of uh, brings complexities with a lot of people. So um, people have started to question their self-worth a lot of times. So, you know, this whole blogger culture came in like a few years ago, which made a lot of people question their lifestyle which made a lot of people, a lot of girls especially, um, conscious about their body. Made uh, a lot of people fight for perfect relationships that were being positioned and shown across. And uh, their expectation, which was anyway quite high, just skyrocketed. Because now you started having these hashtags of relationship goals, Uh, perfect dress, outfit of the day, outfit of the hour, tea in Paris, Broadway in New York. I mean, these were the hashtags where people were just hashtagging their way through life. You know, these kind of comments were were humorous, but uh, they were not taken with the utmost humor by most people. A lot of people felt that this is something that I should be doing too in my life. And a lot of people started to, um, you know, quantify themselves and their self-worth with the amount of followers that they had, the amounts of likes and shares that they had, the amount of views that they get. You know, I think uh, there was a time and there's still sometimes comes a time for me wherein, you know, I put up a video and I know what I'm saying could be interesting to me and I know it could be interesting to some. And I keep looking back uh, checking out the views and saying, Oh my God, how many people would have seen this? How many people would have resonated with what I said? And then I snap back and I'm like, Nisha, this is exactly what you are not supposed to do, because this is exactly what you just spoke about in the video, <laughs> you know? And, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's a human tendency, which we've patterned into ourselves. And uh, because see, again, you need to be out there in order to grow. How will I get to my clients? How will people get to know me? So I need, I need the social media, but then I need to know when I need to say yes to something and no to something else. So I think, um, you know, social media has its pros and cons. And the minute we actually start to realize what works for us and what doesn't work for us, uh, I think we'd all be a lot more happier. But one thing that I would tell everyone who's listening to this is don't quantify your life and qualify yourself depending on how many likes and shares and posts you get. You know, and, and I keep telling um, a lot of people, like a bunch of people who follow me on Instagram and then they get to be my clients and they say, you know, you really inspire us and we love all the posts that you do and you have such a large community of 20,000. I mean, in comparison to them, it's large. But if you compare my community to somebody else, it's mean, smaller and I tell them, I said, Do you know, it took me nine years to get to 20,000. And they're like, I don't believe you. It just feels like it just started. I was like, no, I've been on social media. You go back to my first post in 2012. I've been here for nine years and I've built a community over nine years, which means it takes time. It takes a lot of time. And people don't realize you, you are judging somebody's success on your first day. And that's so unfair to you and to them. Because you are saying that I'd never get to there, and I don't know how they did it. And then if you feel inadequate to do so, we make all these random comments by saying she must be coming from a rich family so she can afford this or they just have a legacy. So it's a pass down. And we make all these loose comments.
1: What you just said, it kind of comes back to critics are uh, a lot of the time just terrified dreamers. And it, it's kind of coming from that place right where it's just, yeah. I want that mm-hmm. but I'm too scared to even begin on this journey so it's easier for me to criticize something or justify it and, and, and talk about why it's easier for the other person or why it's not the right thing to do to begin with or whatever but mm-hmm. to actually take the plunge and try out something yourself. True absolutely. What are the different ways in which you rather consciously water your relationships, whether it's your relationship with your spouse, whether it's a relationship with a friend of yours, whether it's your relationship with
0: your parents or in-law. So it sounds weird, but I listen to their body language. Hmm. So any close relationship of mine, I will listen. I will listen to what they're saying, what they're not saying, what they're doing, what they're acting on. And accordingly, would I then know if I have to nourish or not? Or how much do I need to nourish? Every relationship in our lives is a plant. Some plants need watering more. Some plants need sunlight more. Some plants just don't need anything. They're self-sustainable. And once in a while, some plants would just need a puff here and there. So relationships are similar, right? Wherein there will be individuals you might feel that you constantly need to have these conversations with them. You need to constantly have the talk or the advice, you know, or the, I care about you, so I'm telling you conversations. Or because I'm your mother or your father, I have to look out for you. Or I am your wife or your husband, so this is my duty. You know, These are the deal breaker conversations that anyone can have. Because actually, all these things are just so that we can actually go ahead and say what we want and our ulterior motives can be. across. So today, if I'm telling my spouse, I, I I really love and care about you. So I am telling you this and no one else is going to tell you this. I think you should do this. Yeah. The guy might just not want to do it. He might just have his own way of functioning. And I tell you this, I've done this. I've made the mistake. And so I've realized. There were many times while, uh, you know, we were teenagers and we were dating and I used to always tell my spouse at that time, or even my parents that I think you should do this. I think you should do that. Until I realized, like, who the hell am I to say these things anyway? Yeah. I mean, if I really love them, live and let live. So yeah. we come back to the same philosophy, right? <laughs> so if I'm saying, I, you let me live, I have to let them live. See, I'm not here to change people. I'm here only to enhance people, which is why even in my slogan, I've written like, I'm not here to change you. I only enhance you, which means I can level you up if you want to level up. I'm not here to kind of put you in a completely different packaging. That's not my job and that's no one's job. Mm -hmm. Right. So coming back to relationships and sustaining them or watering them. Um, I think we need to understand what the opposite person needs from you rather than what you would like to give them dependent on what your needs have been. An yeah. example that I give most of my clients and I'd say this year is when you go to somebody's birthday party, I mean, how many of us really think that we give them something that they like? We secretly land up giving something that we want them to have. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's, that's something so wrong that we do. We need to start giving people what they like. <laughs> so, you know, we, we I think we need to start gifting people things that they need rather than what you think they might need. Because you are a parent, you are a spouse, you are someone who loves them. Yeah. Because love, too much of love can also suffocate somebody. Mm. So too much of watering can kill a plant and so can sunlight. And that is the key thing that we all must understand in relationships but i think um this exact
1: same mentality when it comes to gifting i think all of us need to also apply to life because we love yeah. people the way we want to be loved instead of loving people the way they need or want to be loved and this comes from like whether it's a parent friend it could be you know your significant other or or whomever but eventually you need to meet people where they want to be met if that's your intention and it's not always possible because eventually you are human too and any relationship is a two-way street so when you're doing something you're also feeling a certain way and and I think when you're really trying to nourish something and you're really trying to sort of make somebody feel better or feel loved or all of those things you need to meet them where they want to be met and you need to not think about it from your own perspective because most of the times no matter how similar you are even I think people have their subtleties and their nuances where that is how they like it and that is how true and and I think that's that's something that a lot of us miss out on even something as basic as you know when people start dating a lot of them are dating somebody thinking that that person is going to become something else, to be yeah. able
0: to into something
1: else. the really? worst is when they marry them yeah 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 <laughs> I'm just hoping that you no know, this will change with yeah you need to be very 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 happy with the person that you're with as they are and and if if they grow or they develop or all of those things sure whatever but you can't start off with that assumption and so many people make that mistake of doing that people who've been in incredibly long relationships they're just like they're waiting for that one day when that person will change in this one way and I don't know I don't know where that starts from like I I don't know where that conditioning begins that we all assume that you know one day this person will be this way. No, this person is this way and you have to accept them and love them as they are. And if for some reason you can't, then it's better to respectfully part ways than to keep trying to change each other. And and that becomes really toxic. And I, I think that's when, you know, you're, you're signed on for something and, and you're just not uh, coming to terms with the fact that this is what you signed on for and you're, you're just hoping yeah. for Something else entirely.
0: Yeah, that actually um, <laughs> brings me to a funny thought that I just thought when we were saying all this was you know, people actually uh, think that relationships are a pair of leather shoes, they think they might open up after wearing. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, you know, I clearly remember when I used to buy school shoes and that guy used to constantly open, open after I'm like, how? Like, this is what I'm buying. This is not supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I never understood because it would actually open up. You know, I really love that. And it's so true because,
1: you know, oftentimes, like coming back to the shoe example, you buy something and you're just hoping because sometimes... Like, especially when I'm traveling, I'll see a pair and it may not fit me perfectly, but I'm like, I will make do with it. I will do something. They don't have my size, whatever. Yeah. Eventually, you don't end up wearing it. It doesn't work out. And this is such a great analogy.
0: I think everyone needs to realize that uh, you are buying what you're seeing right now. Yeah. And you've got to take it or deal with it.
1: Yeah. And, and my last question before we hit the rapid fire because I know we've definitely exceeded uh, the amount of time that i had planned for is how do you deal with failure?
0: Mm. So funny thing is I have a problem dealing with success not with failure because I have failed so often um, ever since I was born I think I've only failed so failure for me is normal <laughs> but success for me becomes a little questionable. Like if I, if I do something nice or if I get like a compliment, I mean, now I'm, I'm still getting a lot better on it, I think, but uh, I was so low on my self-worth and self-esteem that um, I used to keep on asking, are you sure? Are you sure? Sure. Like it's for me, like, I'm definitely sure you didn't text the wrong person or call the wrong person. You know, anything of that sort. Like I used to, Annoying them to a point where they, I think, they wanted to take their, you know, compliment back. So for me, failure is a way of life, and I feel like everyone should fail. Why? Because only when you fail do you understand how you can better yourself and how you can become stronger, more mindful, and failure keeps you humble, and humility is lost in the world. Yeah. I feel like uh, today, If I have any fair amount of accolades is because I have failed considerably to constantly remind me of who I am and where I come from because that is truly home. Everyone can, they think they can deal with success, but everyone actually can't deal with success because when success hits to you so much, you become a narcissist. You become this person thinks and believes and acts in a way that I'm the best and this is how I work and I'm this genius and that genius and I'm a a math whiz, I'm a creative expert. And when you fail is when you realize that who you're not and who you have potential to be. So for me, how I deal with failure is I go back into understanding how I could have done it better. But I never at any point of time, uh, escalate my emotions when I succeed. So which is why my failure becomes my normal. Like today, if I put out something and uh, say I have like a workshop and no one shows up for it and uh, I'm not going to be sad. I'm just going to learn about what should I have done better in order to prepare better or to market better or to strategize better. Because technically failure is just to tell you what didn't work out. It's not telling you what's never going to work out. Right. I mean, okay. There are certain things that just never will work out is because of your compositions. For example, oil is always going to float on water because of its composition. You cannot keep on stirring the spoon so it mixes because once you stop mixing, it will float on. Those are some relationships as well. So you need to understand your compositions and you need to be true to yourself. So, for example, if you cannot accommodate to somebody else's life values, you cannot understand and you cannot respect them, don't get into business with them. Don't, don't make them your employees, employers, husbands, wives, anything. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't, you shouldn't settle yourself into that because then every single day is going to be a failure for you. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Let's move on to the rapid fire.
1: The best piece of advice you've ever received.
0: Best piece of advice. Everything that you want is all within you. All you've got to do is shut up and listen. My mom.
1: What is one limiting belief that we should all let
0: go of? I am because of who they say I am.
1: Who is the one woman you admire most, and why? Uh, I
0: admire. I admire my mom, my godmother, my mother-in-law, uh, my grandmothers, uh, my sisters. I admire many women, but to to give credit where it's due, I really admire my mother. And I don't think I say this enough to her, of course, (laughs) but I really admire her because uh, uh, there are many mistakes she made. So I think I got the opportunity to learn faster. And, uh, And, you know, we have a beautiful friendship. And I think her relationship with me, you know, taught me how to deal with every relationship that I have in my life. She didn't do something that sounds phenomenal. She just raised me as she would, but I think her liberated parental style was uh, something that allowed me to grow in a pot that was too small, actually, you know, so yeah. I feel like, um, she did a lot for me as a friend, as a mother. Uh, she, and she never did it out of duty. She did it out of passion and that ignition. And that I think transcended into me as well. So, yeah. Cliche, but what can I say? <laughs> That's a nice cliche for a
1: reason. If you could change one thing in the world for the world, what would it be?
0: Hmm. Oh, wow. That's such an amazing thought to have. I could just like <laughs> go and drift away. But if there was one thing that I want to change in the world, um, actually, I have two things. One's a funny thing and one's a natural thing. So um, if I have to choose the one thing that I would want to change in the world is um, the whole live and let live attitude and the the liberation of thought. I would uh, magically get everyone to believe that it's so important everyone minds their own business and does their own thing and let people do whatever they want to do without controlling so if I could I would put a magic spell and get everyone to focus on themselves rather than focus on other people and other people's lives and uh, manage everyone manage yourself you know a lot of times we don't realize that 10 people can't be wrong if if okay like say say you're the boss and all your ten employees or your teammates are, you know, making the same faux pas. Have you ever thought about your leadership style rather than their intelligence?
1: Yeah, I could.
0: <laughs> this is what I could.
1: Yeah, you can just magically make it happen.
0: And alright. Yeah.
1: And and what's the
0: second thing? Oh, the second funny thing is that I just want to pour a nice. Uh, I want to color the world. Like you know, sometimes I see. Uh, Well, so I grew up in South Bombay where we had a lot of uh, old um, structure, you know, I just felt like it wasn't painted and if it hadn't been painted, it would just look so beautiful. So I would just like to, you know, drop a nice bottle of paint on every building in different colors and just make everything look pretty.
1: Yeah. And just
0: grow more flowers everywhere.
1: That's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) So nice. Uh, I'm so glad we got to do this. Uh, I think the listeners are going to love this episode. Honestly, it was so. uh, just like littered with like nuggets of wisdom <laughs> and, and lots of analogies on your front, uh, which I loved. I'm going to mm-hmm. ask you to send me some of those. Yes, definitely.
0: Um, Great. So um, thanks a lot. Thank you for uh, wearing your heart in your sleeve and you really yes. I always do I think sometimes it becomes a problem but I think I'm okay with that Yeah. (laughs) alright sounds good take care thank you bye
1: and with that we come to an end of this episode I really hope that you found numerous takeaways for yourself and that you will implement them I'd love to hear about which parts of the episode resonated most with you you can reach out to us on Instagram at the rate heart on my sleeve official, or you can reach out to me personally. I'm at the rate Mancha Kaur Anath. Next week, we have a really, really incredible woman, Sparda Malik, who's going to be wearing her heart on her sleeve. And I can't wait for you to hear that episode. So, see you then. Stay safe and take care. Bye.